Welcome to the Oil & Gas Elevate podcast. Each week, Sean McCoy and Eric Johnson share real-world case studies of businesses in oil and gas that are successfully navigating the complex environmental, social, and governance landscape. These are the stories that are driving the energy evolution. Here's a demonstration of some mental stimulation. We a nation making change. Let me frame the illustration. It's time for us to elevate your mind to a higher place. OGG in the power here to innovate. Innovate. Elevate your mind to a higher place. OGG in the power here to innovate. Welcome to the Oil & Gas Elevate Podcast. This is your host, Sean McCoy. Eric, how are you doing, buddy? I'm doing great. How about yourself? Not too bad. Here we are with May's Accelerate episode. And, you know, we talk about ESG and the energy evolution, and we're getting ready to go through an evolution of our own. Yeah, no, that's right. I think, and I'll let you explain it a little bit more, but, you know, one of the things that we found as we've been going around and doing the case studies and, and talking to people in the business that are just, you know, these amazing success stories, right? But we're hearing more and more about what do we need to be doing right now? Kind of what's what's going on? I, you know, I'm still drinking from the from the fire hose and we need to figure out what we need to prioritize. Yeah, because we were just at a conference, which we'll talk about here in future episodes, but the first panel, first first questions were, what is ESG? So there's still this, this, this need to kind of understand it. And so what we're wanting to do is really honor the case study part. We need to tell these stories about what's going on in there, but we also want to provide you, the listener, with a value of kind of like what's going on right now that we need to know what are some things to look for there's a word came up like a sherpa like we want to we want to kind of help bring that knowledge and bring some some voices to you for you to, for you to listen to and to have value for so we're going to talk a little bit about it a little bit in the accelerate mantra we're going to talk about some of the things we've been going through recently some of our versions of this and then we have two experts who we've asked to come on and what we're going to do in the future is bring on a couple of experts each week by different people each time and try to do this much more often so that you can come here and know hey i'm going to go find something pertinent some sort of nugget get some takeaway they can get something on my radar that i need to know yeah for sure and, and i think one of the things that also came out of that conference was the idea that we're not doing a good job telling stories and so that's still going to be a critical part of what we do on elevate we're still going to keep telling these success stories but you also consistently hear you know what do i need to be doing right now yeah. what's changed whether it's regulatory whether it's you know it's financial whether it's capital access whether it's reporting whether it's gathering data whatever it goes on and on and people are worried about where they need to be focusing their attention. Yeah, so in the spirit of that, there was a couple of things recently that caught my attention I thought we'd throw out. We mentioned earlier, we talked about it earlier personally, but I want to bring to you all. There was an article from about the Massachusetts Audubon Society. And what it really is, is that's a group, it's a conservation group. And this isn't to pick on them, but what people are doing is they're going back and they're looking at some of these carbon credit measures and some of these previous ESG type initiatives and what they've been doing and what it, so the synopsis is there was some 10,000 acres worth of forestry that they were, that they had precedence over. And they basically went to the state of California back in 2015 and said, Hey, we have this opportunity to cut down 10,000 acres worth of trees. But if we get money instead, and you get credits for not taking it out of the service, it can then become used as a carbon credit to offset emissions for companies. And so they've been doing this. We've been doing this. We actually heard there's another article back earlier last year and late last year that came out about the Nature Conservancy in the same way. And the problem is when you look at it really, and as people are going back and doing scrutiny on these things, not just going forward, but we're looking at things going backwards, it kind of starts to not line up. There's a little bit of like this kind of like, wait, wait, so what did you do? Like, were you ever, and the real crux of the issue is, were they actually going to cut down those trees at one point? And if they never were, now a company is basically paying to get carbon credits, which really aren't doing anything to pull carbon out of the atmosphere. 
I think this is one of those areas that is going to get a lot of attention. People are starting to pay really close attention to what's going on and is there actual value, actual ESG value, actual benefit. And I think credits and offsets, those are one of the areas that it's just, I think it's susceptible to some manipulation in some ways. And so I think there's going to be a lot more eyeballs on that kind of stuff. Yeah. And then, you know, worry about, you know, the actual, there's credibility issues that go with this, you know, as it starts to go through, because now you start dragging in people like the Nature Conservancy or the Massachusetts Audubon Society, who historically you may look at it and go, oh, those are the good guys. And they're always doing something right. And all of a sudden now there's this, and this doesn't start to feel so good anymore. You're like, wait, what's really going on here? And so I worry about that. And so I think it's really crucial to your point. That to me, the takeaway is you kind of need to know all the way where this offset's coming, where this credit is coming. And when you put something down as a marker, you'd better be able to back it up. Definitely, for sure. Yeah, and so then the other thing that kind of came up was somebody that we all have heard of, Mr. Buffett, Mr. Warren Buffett. Recently, just 10 days ago, they had a, a shareholder meeting. And there were two resolutions that were proposed that asked him to basically look at reports around climate change and diversity and inclusion. And, and so there was this shareholder proposal, and I was thinking you could help me understand this a little bit better, how this process works. But what I thought was interesting was they basically said they weren't interested. They didn't want, they didn't want to listen. I mean, for lack of a better phrase, and the way that it's being reported is that Buffett and company, who have the controlling majority of Berkshire Hathaway, just said, it's a nice idea, but we don't want to touch it. Yeah, and he's been a contrarian on some of these issues in the past, and so I'm not really surprised by that at all. But one of the things that it, I think is interesting to, on a go-forward basis is to see just how much this accelerates for other companies. You think about, and we talked about this a couple of days ago, you know, ConocoPhillips, their shareholder proposal that came along and said, hey, we, we want you not only to focus on scope one and scope two emissions, we also want you to focus on scope three emissions. And it passed at 58%. Mm. That hasn't really historically happened. And so now ConocoPhillips has to sit there and go, well, wait a second. What are we going to do? Our shareholders have spoken, so to speak, and how are we going to react to it? Now, the proxy advisory services and larger shareholder groups will look up and say, well, okay, what did you do? We told you last year we wanted you to focus on script three. Did you do anything? And if they didn't, there's always this risk that you're going to have the, you know, the proxy activists. You're going to come in and they're going to try to take over some board seats from you, you know, kind of control what's going on at the director level. Certainly ExxonMobil was worried about that with engine number one, and that kind of drove some of their pivots on ESG issues. I'd be curious to see what happens over the next couple of years as these types of proposals continue to gain momentum. And if we can see or any kind of tangible reaction from the corporate boards that are having to deal with it, or if we're actually going to start to see some fights about board seats. And, and then just to put things in perspective, the shareholders that were asking Berkshire Hathaway to do this, this wasn't our neighbors down the street or some friends that have some stock that they trade on some app. This was, this was BlackRock. BlackRock was one of the ones that said, Hey, we want you to do this. And so to us, the takeaway is look, you know, watch the, watch the battle lines, if you will, see how these things go and realize that these aren't, these aren't small parties that are making these decisions and how this is going to play out. Right. The big players are starting to show up, starting to be very vocal. And I think that the question is, are they going to start taking that next step on a consistent basis, which is either respond to what we've demanded that you respond to, or we're going to start knocking directors off seats. Yeah. And so before we start talking to uh, Roxy and Amy, just as a kind of a brief recap, I, I think what was, what's been your favorite recent case study that we've talked about? Just real quick. You know, from a case study standpoint, there've been so many amazing ones, but I think actually what had the most impact on me just in the, the real recent times was the discussions with the young professionals. 
that just really resonated with me. I was really impressed with the group that came in. And as I've often said to them on social media and afterwards, the future is bright and oil and gas. Yeah, yeah, for sure. For me, NVIDIA and their opportunity, their deep learning, and not just the fact that they have that certification, but they're willing to give it away to organizations to promote that understanding and improve the quality of their careers, these engineers in terms of services. And of course, I can't say anything. I can't say enough about the Riggs to Reefs one. That's um, that's the one that I hope we get a chance to go see it in person because it's a it's an amazing story. Yeah, no, I thought both of those were amazing. To the NVIDIA side, I mean, it, it kind of dovetails nicely with that young professional, right? We're yeah. trying to, you know, train yeah. and get people ready for the next for the next gen, so to speak. Yep. All right, so let's bring on the real stars of the show. We're going to bring on Amy Mifflin and Roxy Sharif. So tell a bit about Amy. So really, this is inspired, to be honest with you. So Amy was my teach one of my teachers at the recent U of H Energy ESG certification classes I took at the beginning of the year and really was the one that as I was listening to her talk and hearing this knowledge that she was bringing that was going back years and years and years of being in that, that this really isn't a recent thing that there's, there's people that have been doing this their entire careers. And so I was like, oh, wow, I need to shut up and listen to her. And it really, so, so, so Amy, very, I'm very grateful to her for that because she's really been the inspiration for this. We've mentioned her on the podcast before, if you've been listening. And then we got to know Roxy actually through LinkedIn and looking at Data Moran and who that company is. And so we connected there. And so Amy, we'll introduce you first. You're a principal at Geocentech Consultants. And as we give you your chance to tell them what they need to know, tell us a little about yourself as well. Yes. Thank you, Sean and Eric. This is so great to be a part of the podcast. I've been a listener since you got started. So it's really fascinating. So thanks for bringing this to oil and gas and any of those other types of listeners out there that are looking to learn from our industry. I have been do I've been in the energy sector 30 years and I have touched just about everything but nuclear. So it's been a quite a long career in that space. And so my recent exit from the energy, from the corporate life into the consulting life has been one that a decision I didn't take lightly, but certainly to Sean's point, even, you know, just getting a chance to teach in ESG, sustainability, corporate social responsibility, all the terms that kind of roll around this are just really incredible and important that we we pass the knowledge and information and sort of the baton to the next generation. So I'm really excited about being here with everyone today. So thank you for having me. Sure. So Roxy, a little bit about yourself. Yeah. Thank you so much. Again, Sean, Eric, pleasure to be here. Amy, so excited to sort of co-guest on this virtual podcast. Anyways, yeah, it's funny that you mentioned we met on on LinkedIn because that has really been, you know, such an important part of my working life is sort of connecting with people online these days, this past year. And to that end, you know, my background is in business. I, I got my MBA actually in, in sustainable business, if you can believe it. There's more <laughs> programs popping up everywhere which is great. And I think just a testament of how business itself is evolving. And, you know, next gen leaders are really looking to, you know, what is needed, not just for today, but for tomorrow. And, you know, I think my focus area and what I, you know, also, you know, Sean, we actually know, you met me through Farhana Morales, which is a, a woman who's a director, I believe, just of sustainability at Oventive. And it's been really just so wonderful to meet other women in this industry who are really carrying the baton for a lot of work 
that has been done and, and still needs to get done. So I'm excited to be a part of the conversation today. Yes, yeah, so you both were sustainable when sustainability wasn't cool. Is what it sounds like. <laughs> exactly right. And let me tell you, it was like pushing a wet noodle uphill. So, <laughs> yeah, no. So, 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 do that. So, Amy, let's start with you. Give us. So, if we're out there listening, what 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 does a listener need to take away? What's going on in the issue world right now that would make it that they need to know that has an impact, and why should they care about it? You know, it's such a great question and, you know, I've been pondering it since you asked me to come on the show and I'm, I'm sitting here thinking that there's so many, so many things swirling around everyone. And, and so what I, what I, what I did and kind of wanting to answer this question is I, I kind of stepped back and I'm thinking about all of our clients that, that we currently are working with. And I think the first thing that we typically end up talking about with them is to not panic. I mean, I think there's such a flurry of information that's coming at them from all angles, whether it's their investors, regulators, shareholder pressures, as you guys were talking about in your opening comments, customers and their demands and what they're looking for, consumers, what consumers are looking for. And then, you know, the biggest, you know, part of this is your employees. And so with all of that, I feel, you know, sometimes there, you know, it feels like, like a lot of panicking, you know, kind of reactions are going on. Should I chase these rating agencies and these ranking, you know, components that they're giving us or what do I do and where do I start? So, you know, there's, and this is, you know, it's not just the public companies either. I mean, we see a fair share of, private firms, you know, obviously, you know, pressure from the, that investor side and then looking at, you know, financing and insurance and banks. So there's a little bit of everything coming from every direction. And I think the first thing that, that, you know, I would say to, to everyone is, you know, kind of look at, okay, where are we? What is most material to our business? And when you can start answering those questions, then you can start to settle into not trying to keep up with the Joneses, so to speak, or the Smiths over here, but really trying to look at what is most material to your own business. Where, what is it that you're currently doing? What's the future? What's your growth patterns look like? All of that really kind of helps you settle into, okay, where are we? Where are we going? And then what's that gap analysis, basically? What do we need to work on? And once we do that, you can see a sense of relief. And I think it's quite interesting that when you guys attended your the conference that you kind of wove into your opening comments too, people are still asking, what does environment, social, and governance really mean? And what does it mean to my business? So I think there, you know, we, we tend to have some of, the advanced thinking going on, which I think Roxy's really going to help get into. And then you've got people who, okay, I know this is important, but where do I get started and how do I get started and how do I really narrow what that focus looks like? So I think that's why we need to be paying attention is really kind of looking at what's most material to our business and what do we get started with first. Amy, I want, I want to follow up on something you mentioned real quick, which is the rankings and the rating agencies. And, and I can't tell you how many conversations I have with clients and potential clients where it, it opens up in that panic mode where they go, we got this ranking. It's horrible. What's going to happen? You know, and, <laughs> and, and, and everybody gets distracted. And, and I, I do think 
it causes a panic and panic causes you to freeze. And that's the, the worst thing you can do is freeze. We, we need to move. You, you, and, and again, to your point, you got to, what's material to us? Where are we headed? What, what matters from a, a, a strategic standpoint and a risk management standpoint? But wanted you to expand a little bit your thoughts or, or you know, when you're at Geosyntec, what do you guys, if you have a client that's obsessing over, over rankings and rating agencies and their scores on ESG, kind of what's y'all's standard kind of advice and, and response around that? Well, that's a very great question, and and it's one that you know we have been working with our clients on, and and one of the things that we try to level set the conversation, and it's not so much that we're not going to help you improve that score or that ranking or however you are looking at it from an internal perspective, but we really do need to go back and look at you know what is exactly how were you scored on those things those items particularly what's causing you the most angst but more importantly how are you creating a sustainable business model around this so again it gets back to where are your gaps what is it that you need to focus on and what is most material and then to your point how do you manage that through a risk based approach And I think once we start having that conversation and helping them understand it, I think that becomes an easier mechanism for us to, okay, let's go back and evaluate what you're doing really well at, what's missing within your management system, maybe the holistic way in which you're viewing it. And then how do we start to build something that looks way more sustainable, less focused on your scores because the scores will come. Once you can give confidence in those rating and rating ranking agencies that you really shored up that gap, right? And what that looks like. And it can't just be something that you're just writing. It can't just be, oh, well, here's our policy. They really want to fundamentally see that you have systems or management plans in place where you're really mitigating that material issue and the risk that's associated with that. And that it's a continuous improvement. And that is the one component that we constantly really look at too, is how do you continuously improve and evolve in that space? Excellent stuff. Excellent stuff. So Roxy, we're going to move on to Roxy next. So give us an idea. What, what, what are you seeing out there? What do we need to know? And why is that important? Yeah. You know, so my role at Data Moran and, and what I do day to day is essentially talk to companies who are going through this process of identifying and prioritizing the issues and engaging the various stakeholders. And I think what we've seen is is a broadening of not just the scope of issues and in terms of questions they're fielding from investors, but broadening, you know, the relationships that they're expected to maintain. And I think the evolution that companies are going through and and the restructuring is just sweeping. And it's driven in large part, I think, of course, by capital markets needing to adapt and adjust to, to new systemic risks, but also by regulators, both federal policymakers like here in the U.S. with Biden administration, but international organizations that have said for a while now, you know, there is a really big, you know, wide spectrum of issues that have a clear and direct link to a company's well-being. And so, you know, it's exciting and it's also can seem really daunting and depending on the day, maybe, right? On on the mood. Are you are you hopeful? Are you pessimistic? Because the challenges ahead are certainly 
very complex and, and big. And even something, you know, like the discussion you two were having earlier about carbon and, and, you know, where the market will go and how exactly to tackle this issue. There's still a lot of questions. So I think primarily, you know, I focus on and, and at Data Moran, our team is is ensuring that, you know, as Amy said, it's it's about having, you know, from a company perspective, plans in place and, you know, governance structures to support risk management. And at the base of that, and what I do at Data Moran is really having, you know, the right information at your fingertips to to make decisions and, you know, inform those quarterly calls and council meetings. So to that, can you can you expand upon the data side just for a second in terms of what Data Moran does, just from a, because it's so crucial to your point about you know, as you make these decisions, a little bit what Amy was saying, that, that score may be terrible, but but what ultimately is going to change that score, what I was going to, what's really going to help is is how do you collect data? How do you make sure it is? What data do you collect? Can you tell us a little bit about if a company's out there, what, what are some of those data sets maybe around E that people are, are looking to get? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's really data marine. I mean, I love, you know, the work that we do sort of at a high level in terms of strategy and, and sort of goal setting and, and how to build out that roadmap. But I also love looking at the data with my clients and digging into some of the specific risk areas and assessing kind of where, you know, either again, from a competitive perspective or regulatory, even, you know, thinking about reputational risk, how then to respond. Our data is looking at, you know, various sources of information and able to synthesize you know, millions of data points, taking a wealth of unstructured data for structured data and, and ultimately providing a quantitative measurement to then, you know, evaluate and support, you know, a lot right now. I think scenario planning is really top of mind and how to, you know, really be able to deliver, as Amy said, on on the, you know, commitments being made. And I think, you know, another tangent perhaps, but seeing where, you know, from a corporate perspective, now having to integrate what, you know, promises they made into the core processes is a, is a big challenge. So again, it's, it's about really being able to prioritize what is material to the company. Amy, I want to go back to something you said earlier, because it's often what we tell our clients to just from from the legal side, which is the scores will generally fix themselves, but let's not obsess about the score. In the education realm, you know, we started to see this don't teach to the test kind of where all the schools were like teaching to the test, right? And you weren't actually, I'm not sure what was actually going on in the classroom other than doing practice tests. But in any event, we kind of tell our clients, you know, don't manage to the test, don't manage the score. I think, Amy, to your point, you got to step back, you got to figure out what's material, what's our strategy, where are our risks, and all of those things will fix themselves. So, but wanted, you know, kind of, Weaving in some of the great points that Roxy just made, I mean, we want to get your thoughts on kind of what is that first step? I mean, if a company's just now starting to wrap their head around this, does the board need to sit down and have this discussion? Is this a discussion that the CEO and CFO should have? Who should be in the room as we start to think about the high level strategic actions, the business model, the, the risks? Where do we start that dialogue if somebody's taking that very first baby step and, and trying to ignore their score and focus on the right things? Oh my gosh, that's such a great question too. And again, I think it varies, right? On on the company, what it's attempting to do. Does it have a board of directors, right? I mean, there's 
there's, you know, companies that may not, may not even have that. They may rely on advisors and so on and so forth. So I think that's a little bit, you know, not one size fits all either, but I think one of the things that's really critical is that key people need to be in the room having the conversation. So yes, if you have a board, whoever has board oversight for ESG or sustainability, all of those type of things, those folks should be in the room. The executives need to be in the room. We do a lot in our space of educating executives first, like kind of giving an ESG 101 awareness because there are so many moving parts in the E, so many, which most people are more familiar with, right? The E gets a lot of attention. It's been around for a long time. It's been primarily looked at through the compliance and regulatory kind of component. Now, as you look at the energy transition phase of that, what does that look like and how do we transform our business? How do we look at the things that are in that E space in a more, you know, what is what is our carbon footprint around that look like and, and how is that evolving? How does technology, and we have lots of conversations about technology in that space too, and the advancements that may be made there. In the S and the G, the same kind of concept, you know, S has got everything from safety to cybersecurity policies and training and development to, you know, human resources and all of the things, supply chain. So there's lots of moving parts in there. And so when I was doing this work, obviously I felt that I could progress things better in the conversation more by having all of those, whether you want to call them department heads or those responsible for those key components that not only were about policy because your you know policies helped in the governance side of that role as well but what were we doing to really educate our employees across the business platform so again the difficult parts of starting with your ESG strategy so to speak is looking at a who are the players and sometimes where companies fail at this in my opinion a lot is well, let's just start with a core group of people and see where we go. But when you start with a too small of a circle of folks having that dialogue, you're going to miss some key elements. So I'm, you know, a big fan of expand that discussion to be very inclusive of all E, S, and G because everyone helps everyone else become better in the room. And if I'm talking about, you know, the E, but I don't really understand the supply chain component, but now supply chain is coming out with scope one, two, and three emissions. And, you know, so again, you know, you see kind of the robustness of how the conversation can evolve, but we can all be teaching each other internally. And therefore, you start to just permeate that throughout the organization versus and making it everyone's responsibility. And I know that sounds daunting too. How do we make it everyone's responsibility? Well, it starts with making sure all of the key decision makers and those with line of sight and control in the company are having a seat at the table and and making sure that we're all involved in creating what it looks like. I know I kind of went small and went big and came back in a little bit, but I think there's not a one size fits all. And what I've seen the most successful 
things happen, when I see the most successful things happen is when you've got all the key players in the room, not just half of the players in the room. I love that. So as we wrap up, Roxy, any last words from you? Yeah, I think it's just, you know, Amy made such great points about who's involved with this evolution or this transition, this great transition that we're just in continuously. And, you know, just because I think that that's kind of what has gotten us to this point is we've been siloed kind of in our our ways of thinking. And I think at companies, there's just been a lot of, you know, stay in your lane, so to speak. And now I think we're seeing a lot more companies recognize that there's gaps and you know, blind spots, which they, you know, in order to address do require a more encompassing and streamlined approach. So it's exciting. And and I think we just all, you know, again, it's about helping each other and being adaptable and, and flexible with the information that we have. And technology is a huge part of capturing the information that you need in, in the limited time that we have. Excellent. Well, ladies, thank you so much for being a part of it. We appreciate your time and your all your insight. Yeah, amazing insights. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you. Thanks, Roxy. It's great to share the stage with you today. Mm-hmm. Lovely voice. <laughs> Yes, yeah. it is. So as we leave, I think the one thing we can, the biggest takeaway I had was to don't panic. You know, as Amy said in the beginning, you know, it's going to be okay. You know, here we go. You can take care of this. I would, that to me was a big takeaway. So, and we'll wrap that up. And thank you so much. And we'll hear, we'll be back next week. And until then, take care. Hey, everybody. It's Savannah from OGGN. And here are the events on deck for May 2021. This month, we have four events. But if you'd like the full list, you can click the link in the show notes to sign up for our online events newsletter. We send it out every month and it includes more info about the events I talk about here. We even include events that occur two months ahead of time. So if you're interested in always staying in the loop about oil and gas events, make sure to check that out. First up, we have our in-person event, which is the 20 YPO's networking mixer at the Houston Club on May 25th. Next, we have our three online events, the Post-Industrial Summit Series from May 4th to June 22nd, the Data Fabric and Data Ops webinar on May 5th, and the Maritime Career Day hosted by Women Offshore on May 21st. Other than these events, OGDN has a live stream this month titled Identifying and Evaluating Advantaged Oil Projects on May 5th. So make sure to check that out on our Facebook, LinkedIn, or OGGN.com for more information. You can also find more information about that or any of the live streams or events we have coming up also on Facebook, LinkedIn, or OGGN.com. If you have any questions about these events or any of our shows, make sure to reach out to me through my email in the show notes. That's all for May. I hope you guys have a great month and thanks for tuning in. On behalf of the Elevate podcast team, thank you so much for clicking play and bringing to life these amazing stories. We hope this elevated your perspective and serves you well as you navigate understanding ESG and the energy evolution. We are so grateful for your time and kindly ask that you rate and review the show on Apple iTunes, which is a great way to help us grow. The best way to support the work we are doing is to tell a friend about it. Ask them to listen and share with others what you've learned from listening to our guests. Lastly, we want to invite you to reach out to us for any comments, suggestions, or just to connect. You can do that through my email, sean.mccoy at oggn.com. I'd love to hear from you and what you think of our podcast. Be safe, and we look forward to bringing you another episode next week. Here's a demonstration of some mental stimulation. We a nation making change. Let me frame the illustration. It's time for us to elevate your mind to a higher place. OGG in the power, hit it in the day. In the
elevate Elevate your mind to a higher place OGG in the power here to innovate